Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Lexi B. didn't grow up dreaming about working in the world of tech. In fact, she assumed anyone in the tech industry was skilled in coding, so a career in the tech world was just simply out of reach. So imagine her surprise to now find herself as the chief of staff for key leaders at Twitter. However, it's really no surprise that Lexi forged her way into a leadership role in the tech world. From an early age, Lexi has been a connector. Even as a freshman in her Stanford dorm, she realized that while her peers may not have important connections as 18-year-olds, their parents and relatives did. It was that moment that Lexi discovered the power of community and her first networks were formed, sparking her non-traditional path into the tech world. Lexi's a vibrant leader who believes in promoting others' good work and providing them the tools to do their jobs well. Join us as we hear all about Lexi's path and what earned her a leadership position at Twitter. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Lexi. Welcome, Lexi V. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And, you know, I don't want to waste any time. I want to dive into it because one, I love your energy and I know that you have stories and pearls of wisdom to share with our audience. So let's dive right in and talk a little bit about who is Lexi B? What was your journey? And how did you end up where you are at Twitter in a chief of staff role? And what does all that mean? And did you even know what chief of staff was? And were you aiming for that when you first started out? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, first and foremost, I'm so honored to be here with you. I think that you are such a phenomenal woman, a human, and can teach us so much. So thank you for being a shero of mine. Um, and for Thank really you. building this underground railroad for for people like me. So because of you, I am um, in my career. And, and I do want to say that and highlight that on your platform. Um, who is Lexi B? That's a very intense question. I am a... I am a dark skinned black girl with curly hair um, from St. Louis, Missouri, which is very, very important, even though I live in California with Southern American roots. So I am a descendant of the enslavement mm -hmm. of African bodies. And recently when I do speaking engagements or, or intro myself, it's a very important part of myself because I do believe that many times we as black people were all lumped in together. And yes. I always tell folks that diaspora is beautiful and there are many, many threads that are very common among us and we are also different. And I think it's important for people to understand my angle of difference, which really does come from the descendants of Africa, of West African enslaved people, um, mm -hmm. unlike other people that come from different parts of the world. I currently Fantastic. work in the tech industry um, and social media. I've worked at some of the most prominent names in tech, including NetApp, Facebook, Airbnb, and now Twitter. And no, if you had asked me at six years old, what am I going <laughs> to be when I grow up? This was nothing to do with it. I didn't know that tech existed until mm -hmm. I went to college at Stanford. So 
very much that kid who went to college, had a wonderful time. And that's when I was introduced to this crazy world known as the technology industry, um, Mm -hmm. where I'm from, it's beer, baseball and Boeing. So I really didn't have an understanding. This is real. I, Mm -hmm. I remember biking down University Avenue in September 20, 2007 as a freshman at Stanford and seeing mm-hmm. the Facebook headquarters and calling my parents and being like, yo, they have a headquarters. And I remember <laughs> parents were like, well, we would assume they're a business, right? Mm-hmm. But just that, that emotion, I remember biking mm-hmm. and seeing that emotion and saying, oh, wow. So I could work at these places. And that's how I got started. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And I love what you said in terms of that limited frame of reference, right, that we grow up with. And, you know, our definition of success can be very different depending on where you grew up, who you were surrounded by, and the definition of success that was somewhat handed down to you of this is what it meant. Um, and so, as you you shared a little bit as you were right, biking, you know, while you, you were at Stanford and you see the headquarters, what did that do for you can, in terms of opening up that kind of like aha moment, like, whoa, there's lots of more stuff out there than, you know, pursuing, becoming a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, whatever it was that, that definition. So what did your definition look like before the bike ride and then after the bike ride? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, my definition of success was to be financially successful, be able to take care of myself, mm-hmm. um, to not be a doctor because my dad's a doctor. And I think that kids rebel <laughs> against their parents. To not yeah. be a teacher because my parent, my, my, my mother is a teacher. So my definition mm-hmm. of success was be financially okay, but not mm-hmm. be those things. And right. I want to highlight that because I think that we talk about all the time about representation. And I am a product of an upper middle class family checking my own mm-hmm. privilege. I'm also mm-hmm. a product of people living in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so not yes. these companies weren't in the Midwest. So I don't know what I don't know. So coming from this very privileged background and literally relocating to see the Facebook sign and Mm -hmm. having that moment, it wasn't necessarily about poverty for me and things like that. It was that that sign is not in St. Louis, right? Again, beer, baseball, and Boeing. So my (laughs) definition of success was to work for a company that sounded really, really cute on paper at the time when I was 18. (laughs) That was not a medicine. And was not an uh-huh. education and was mm-hmm. not beer and was not baseball. So I had a, I, I was keenly aware at 18 that there was this like crazy world out there. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, keenly aware that I had no idea what it was, but I knew something was there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And I love your candor in terms of, you know, you, it's almost sometimes easier to know what you don't want exactly um, in order for you to find right. kind of what you do want. And I, and I think too, that hunger and that curiosity of what is out there, I know that these things have to matter in terms of financial stability and, you know, doing something that you love. Um, so you, you decide, okay, I'm going to be open, look at all of these different opportunities. Um, But given that your expertise is in kind of branding and all of these different types of things, um, you had to create a personal brand for yourself. Talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, being able to build that in order to attract the opportunities that you were looking for. Yeah. So fun fact, when I went to school, even seeing that Facebook sign, 
I was very weary about getting the tech. So everybody, mm. you know, the school that I went to was getting a tech. There was always, what are you doing this summer? And it was going to some startup. And of course, me being a rebel, I went to the, um, the career counseling center. And I said, so uh-huh. I something this summer. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, anything but tech. And they laughed. Mm. At me. And I did this, I think, for a few reasons. I am the person that usually when people go right, I go left. Um, there mm-hmm. is a stubbornness streak about me, but also I think there was fear. I really didn't know what tech was. I knew that I, mm-hmm. I played with it. I knew that I had a Facebook with friends and, you know, I knew that we talked about it in some capacity in classes, but mm-hmm. I just didn't want to go there. So I told the career center, I want to do something in, and I think the quote was in a sexy consumer brand. And they're like, what is that? And I said, like, <laughs> let's think of like, I want to build the Super Bowl commercial or I want to like produce a fashion show. And so I was this very creative kid on campus who was like, I want to do these businessy things, but I want to do it in these very cool creative spaces. Mm-hmm. I did not understand what career branding was at until I did an internship with Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. on the summer of 2010 before my senior year. And it was the most grueling, intense internship that taught me m- the majority of the foundation of my career. To be in a fashion house all the way from California, um, someone who's never really spent a lot of time in New York. Um, I did I, I did some stints here and there as a child for extracurriculars, but not to the extent of living in New York and those kinds of things. And for folks who've never been to New York, New York is a very daunting city. Yes. <laughs> and then to work in the fashion industry, which I think is a mystery of its own. And so while I worked there and worked multiple hours a day um, as this in as this intern in the public relations department, basically owning the closet. So every fashion house, mm-hmm. they have this closet of all of their clothes and uh-huh. we would rent out the clothes for free to fashion shoots. So I was mm-hmm. the intern that had to know what was in the closet and what was out of the closet at any given time. Because we were uh-huh. talking about like $50,000, $60,000 pieces of clothing. So that was yes. my 21-year-old <laughs> job, which is really uh-huh. intense. And I think that if you want to learn about branding, do an internship in fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's where I learned about career branding. I would have to take these clothes and take them to photo shoots, sometimes have bodyguards with me because they were that expensive. And I got to watch oh. these very creative brand masters make the brand in real mm. time. I distinctly remember taking a a Ralph Lauren collection dress um, to a photo shoot for the September issue Mm -hmm. and to watch these people in this room create this whole picture that before I was there was just a beautiful shot on a magazine. And after Mm -hmm. I left, it was like, oh, that's what a career brand is Um, to watch these very famous fashion photographers with Halle Berry. Um, in the room and watch these makeup artists and then watching them all come together just to tell this one story with this one dress. And that was Mm -hmm. my first time that I realized, okay, so that's how I brand my career. If we're going to spend 12 hours doing a shot of one dress on Halloween for the fall September 2011 issue or 2010 issue, and it Mm -hmm. was a 12-hour shoot, what does that mean for my career? And as I spent the summer doing this for multiple shots and spreads for Ralph Lauren, for all these different magazines, what I realized was that I needed to treat my career like how these people in this room treat this magazine. 
Um, I love what you just said. (laughs) And that's basically what happened. And so at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know like the specific steps I needed to take. But when you spend four months for 12 Mm -hmm. hours a day on photo shoots, talking to other interns at the fashion houses, having conversations at 10 p.m. at night where it's like, no, Lexi, you need to come back in and pick up this one bracelet because the, you know, Grace Coddington at Vogue said, we cannot do this shoot without this one bracelet, right? Mm -hmm. It really taught me the art of what does it look like for me to take control Mm -hmm. of my career and be able to be, be in a position to make decisions about my one one bracelet. And I remember I left New York thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up, but I want to be in a position with my career that I can sit in a room for 12 hours and decide exactly what it's going to look like. And I want the freedom and the power to do so. And that was my first understanding of career branding. I love that. I don't think I've heard a better story um, and analogy as to how intentional you have to be in managing your career. Because over the course of the years in, you know, mentoring and coaching young women and people of color and just other individuals that would come to me and understanding that they, you know, we have to get rid of this myth that we believe, put your head down, work really hard and your work will speak for itself. It'll take you only so far. (laughs) It won't. (laughs) It won't. It's just like, that's just the little pretty dress. You've got to learn how to build the story around it. Um, I love, absolutely love that. Now, you mentioned a little bit about when you said, I want to do anything but tech. Um, And you said it was because you don't know what you don't know, but there are also some fears or uncertainty, right? Um, So can you talk a little bit about kind of like, the fears, limiting beliefs, because you're now in tech. Um, So was there a point when you were transitioning to the tech world where you had some limiting beliefs or some fears that, you know, what am I getting myself into and how come those? Yeah. So in in college, I really didn't understand how business worked. I knew Mm -hmm. there were people who made the product. So for tech, for example, the engineers who build the stuff, Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in college, we have a whole department for that. I always tell folks, I think one of the issues that we need to change in our in our institutions, especially for students who don't have, you know, don't have visibility into all of these roles, wherever they may be, is Mm -hmm. how in which we define what a major is. So as a college Mm -hmm. kid, I was like, okay, so if I do X major, I will probably have this type of degree, right? Or like this type Mm -hmm. of degree. If I major in biology, that means I want to be a biology teacher slash professor. I want to be a doctor. And so Mm -hmm. I had a very linear understanding of that. Um, When I went to Stanford, I went to school with some amazing people and also people with crazy resources. And so Mm -hmm. going to lunch, going to dinner, hanging out after a party and starting to talk to people, I was like, oh, your dad does what? Oh, so Mm -hmm. I didn't know these jobs existed. And I was not a computer science major. So I think one of the reasons why I was fearful of tech was because I never studied it, Mm, right? mm -hmm. No one at school was like, oh, you can be a psychology major and do X in tech. I didn't know that. They were like, you want to work in tech? Be a computer science kid. And I was like, there's no way that I am coding. Like, that's just (laughs) a hard no for all of us. Yes. (laughs) What happened was, is that um, I came back to school from Ralph Lauren and I started thinking about what I wanted to do as my first job. 
I didn't know what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. Um, I got a lot of pressure from one side of people saying you need to go get another degree because you know people of color we got 18 mm-hmm. and a half degrees oh yes okay <laughs> which by the way i fully support i think education is phenomenal um i still love learning i also think that especially bipoc people women of color black and brown women to be specific i always mm-hmm. tell folks why are you getting the degree because i also yes. think we have a debt called reparations which we don't have and so you staying in school an infinite amount of time instead of working smarter not harder concerns me And um, I just wasn't, I was tired of school. So I was like, let me just get a job for two years and figure it out. And again, your network, there was a wonderful black woman who was considered my mentee at Stanford because she was younger than Mm -hmm. me and she was a computer science major. And she Mm -hmm. saw me senior year in our quad, kind of the area where people are biking to get to class. And she said, I haven't seen you in a while. So what are you doing after college? And um, it was the worst question ever. I started crying in the quad. (laughs) <laughs> which of course he wasn't prepared for. I was like, I don't know. And I'm a failure. And my parents come in three months to see me graduate. What's going to happen? And she kind of just kind of stopped me out of it and said, Hey, I interned at this company and they're looking for someone to be a new college grad. And I can't, cause I have to come back to school. Do you want to be connected? And I said, but I'm not a computer science major like you. And she was like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that was the first person who gave me the okay to mm-hmm. be like, it's cool that I can't code. I did. No one had told me that until mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. And so we connected, you know, she connected me with her manager from her internship. The manager hit me up. I went to the interview, um, not knowing what a program manager was, not knowing anything about engineering. I knew nothing. And I probably said that in the interview during spring break. And mm-hmm. there was a black man in the interview who was a director he was the he was the the manager of the hiring manager and i will mm-hmm. never forget he closed the door for the interview and he looked at me and he was like okay so this is what's going to happen you're going to stop telling people you don't know mm-hmm. you're going to talk about how you communicate well you're going to talk about how you're organized and how you're willing to learn and then we're going to get you this job and you're going to start working and you're going to learn and i was like okay <laughs> Um, I got the job and I started working at NetApp in July, 2011. And so for four Mm. and a half years, um, I had to learn how to be a program manager. And guess what? That man, Kirk Law, who's phenomenal and a a senior VP in the tech industry, very well known. He was right. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think his point was, was that like, no one knows what they're actually doing, but Mm -hmm. are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to talk to people? Are you willing to ask the hard questions? And so very quickly, he really mentored me and helped me into the fold. He was the person in my first few weeks of work where he would do things where he was like, you need to go talk to this person and you need Mm. to walk down the hall and take three and a half steps and then pass the tree and then pass the evil witch in the hut and (laughs) make it right. And you're going to go to that person and here's the script that you're going to say. And I was like, Mm. okay. And he really built this. He helped me build this community with the mm-hmm. net app to teach me not only how to do my job, but how to adult. And the reason why he did it was that he, I can't speak for him, but part of me always thinks that he knew nobody was going to do that for this little new college grad black girl. Mm. They would do it for everybody else, but they wouldn't do it for me. And my new college grad class, I was one of two black kids and one of them was a man and he was an engineer. 
right? And so here I mm-hmm. am. I, I was one of five non-engineers out of a new college grad class of like 200. So we were already isolated. We didn't know what was going yeah. on. And then <laughs> yeah. there was a little me. And so you had Kirk who was like, look, I need you to figure this out. I'm going to help you figure out some parts. There's some parts I don't know. And we're going to we're going to go down this hallway and I have someone who's going to figure it out. And that's when I really started learning about the power of community and people really being in your corner to say, I see something in you and I'm going to help you find the tools to learn how to use them to build something that is for Mm -hmm. you. Wow. That is a beautiful story. And I have to say Kirk is the epitome of what an ally, what a sponsor of, you know, he's earned that title, right? And I think the other important thing that you said that I want to reinforce, and I want you to talk about it a little bit, is that Kirk may have been brown like you, a Black man, but he was a man. And many times we tend to have an affinity or for whatever reason, feel like we have to find another black woman, another Latina, someone who looks like me to show me the way. And like you, most of my sponsors, most of the people who opened the doors and gave me opportunities were men that did not look like me, think Mm -hmm. like me, but they saw the potential, like you said, and they took me under their wing. Let's talk a little bit about that, where sometimes people have an aversion to identifying someone who doesn't look like them to help lead the way and navigate. What would you say about that? What would you say are like the, you know, some of the most valuable lessons you learn about, you know, not, uh, you know, being open to allowing someone like that to help you? I mean, I think point blank period, if someone's going to help you take the help. Why would you not? The world is, the world is crazy as it is. I always joke with my team and I'm like, y'all earth is ghetto. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, E.T., come pick me up and send me to yeah. Wakanda. And so until that mm-hmm. happens, I'm never going to not accept help or at least hear someone out. I've been very blessed mm-hmm. in my career to have mentors and sponsors and helpers um, really pour into me who look all the way different. And I always tell people it's very important to understand that just because someone doesn't look like you or identify with you, whatever identity layer that is, does not mean they can't pour into you in some capacity. And Mm. the worst thing that can happen after that conversation is it is a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. You know how much time is wasted in your life? The best (laughs) thing that can happen is that it's like, oh, let me let me call you back. The middle Mm -hmm. thing that can happen is they can't help me, but they said they would connect me to someone who would. And I'm very, Mm -hmm. very big on networking. I actually learned that at Stanford. I learned at Stanford pretty quickly that, you know, being 18 and being a freshman, I'm in a dorm room with people that are also 18 and freshmen. So we're all kind of dumb together. Mm -hmm. So you can't help me. (laughs) Like We're trying to figure this out together. You can't help me. But you know who can help me? Your aunt who is, Mm -hmm. you know, the head of marketing for Coco Chanel. You know who can Mm -hmm. help me? Your mom, who literally is Mrs. Fields of Mrs. Fields Cookies. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So like, and I learned that very quickly at Stanford was that, hey, us all, us all 18 year olds sitting in class trying to navigate college and what are we going to do this summer is actually a very depressing conversation because it's like (laughs) the blind leading the blind. But if we start having conversations like, hey, what does your uncle do? And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, uncle so-and-so. Oh, 
he does xyz like he's the cfo of nissan you're like wait so like we could we could crunch numbers for cars and those mm -hmm. were the transformative conversations so i learned that very early on in college and so when i went to start my career that's the one thing <laughs> that i knew was that if anybody was going to give me a coffee or a lunch or a happy mm -hmm. hour pre-COVID or 15 minutes of their time or say, hey, walk with me to the meeting and we can chat in the hallway. I always took it because I knew that I didn't know anything. And I was like, the worst case happens is that you say things and I just sit there and nod respectfully, <laughs> passive aggressively respectful. Um, mm -hmm. And then I just don't take anything out of it. And in my four and a half years of NetApp, there is not one coffee or lunch or happy hour or long walk to and from the conference room that I did not benefit from. Even if it was mm. as simple as this person is not for me and I need to watch my back. I think that is phenomenal. I want to get this part, part of the podcast and make people listen and repeat and repeat about the intentionality because proximity is everything. Yes. But you don't understand who you're proximate to unless you have those conversations, like you said. And the other key thing is that you weren't afraid to ask. No. Talk a little bit about that because that's sometimes that, you know, some of the women who go through our Beyond Barriers program, they get hung up on the ask or I feel bad like that I'm using these people or I'm in being intentional of building a relationship for them because I want to leverage their knowledge or something for my benefit at work. What do you have to say to that? Because I love your, your mindset in, in terms of, there, you know, get to know people. Networking is powerful and you will learn something from it. What do you have to say about those who kind of shy away because they don't want to be a burden on somebody else? Two things. Closed mouths don't get fed. And two, the person that you think are a burden on, they are either A, currently a burden or someone else or B, have been a burden before. And I mm. had to learn that um, in my first few years as an adult. I I was very skeptical about asking. It was people like Kirk Law and other people at NetApp, um, leaders who helped me and, and, and friended me who would ask for me sometimes. I'd be too afraid. I had this one person, his name is Mark, and he worked at NetApp and he was um, happened to be a white man who worked down the hall mm -hmm. and he went to Stanford and he had a huge Stanford poster on his wall. And mm -hmm. so one day I passed it and I was like, and he was like, let's be friends. And this man <laughs> would have weekly lunches with me and I could walk over all of my programs and ask questions. The one thing that he taught me, and he always say, if you, if you forget everything I've taught you, remember this said what? He said, every time that you get invited into a meeting with powerful people, go and watch the meeting. And what he mm. meant was, was he was like, go sit in the back and watch the room. Don't even listen to the content, watch the room. Because that's when you find out who's actually the most powerful person in the room. That's when mm. you find out who has influence in someone else. And then he would also say, and listen, and he would also always tell me, Lexi, as you learn how to do your job, you need to actually copy, emulate behavior. And he said, so mm -hmm. if you see someone in a room one day and you like how in which they said something, you liked how in which they changed the conversation or how they said no or how they mm. responded when then they were five minutes late. He said, take that and then go and play with it. And I did that very early on in my career was that just watching people. And so when the meeting would end, I would go up to them and I would say, hey, I would, I would love to ask you some questions about that thing, why you said no to that. And people 
always love talking about themselves, I realized. And so they were all willing to talk to me, even for five minutes. I've actually never met someone who said no to having coffee with me to my face. Mm, Yes. I know a whole lot of people who somehow not see my email, (laughs) but I can deal with that. Um, Mm. I can deal with being ghosted via email. I've never had someone in my career when I said, hey, I would love to talk to you about what just happened because I have some questions. I've never had someone be like, no. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. I love these nuggets that you're dropping. So you mentioned Mark told you, observe those people, right? So you identify the people who are successful or have the successes that you want, and then go and ask them about that specific thing. Like, how did you do this? Or why did you do this in that manner and emulate that? And I think that's so important, but I love his words where he said, play with it, right? Because there's a fine line between assimilating and acculturating, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want to remain our authentic selves. I get pushback all the time when I tell people, what is the definition of success? Learn what those behaviors and those th- things are, and then you have to emulate them. And people are like, yeah, but I don't want to sell out. I don't want to, you know, but talking to you right now, I can tell you, you've assimilated really well and you're super oh. successful, but you, you know, you, but you, and you've acculturated, but you didn't completely like, you're still authentic. You still are who you are. And so, making sure that people don't completely assimilate and lose who they are, but they more acculturate, right? And, and be able to do that. Talk a little bit more about that because I think people sometimes get worried about, I'm, you know, if I do this, I kind of am like, you know, selling my soul, to, you know, uh, in order to be successful. Yeah, no, I, I never want to sell my soul. And there are many times where I'm actually having conversations with my husband or my family where, I'm actually checking myself in that because I always tell people I want to be Mm -hmm. a leader that at the end of the day, the black community knows I think black first. And that's true. Any room Mm -hmm. that I'm in, I am thinking black woman first, whether you like it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how the decisions that we're making, how they affect black women for good and for bad. I'm thinking about how I can get more black women into these rooms. I'm thinking about 22 year old Lexi who did not have a black woman mentor. And as much as I want to preach the idea that like mentors and help can come in all different shapes and sizes, there is something about having someone that actually identifies as you as a mentor Mm -hmm. and a sponsor because of so many things that are unsaid because of so much safety. So when you walk in the room, because as we all know, your career is not just your career. It is personal. And so to be Mm -hmm. able for you, for example, to go to a Latina woman and be like, look, So I have two job offers. Mm -hmm. This one is great. This one's less money, but this one gives me more free time. And I'm thinking about using that free time for A, B, and C to be able to have that real life conversation with Mm -hmm. this other Latina woman in power is very important. And so I I do want to just put that out there. But 
for, for me, it's really about how do I do my job and how do I do it well? And mm-hmm. back to Mark, I still emulate people mm-hmm. all the time. I will go to meetings and I will listen to what you say and how you say it. And then I will watch how somebody responds to it because for me, I am an empathetic and emotional leader. And I'm actually proud mm-hmm. about that because I really believe that if I can empower you to do your job and you feel phenomenal, you're going to do even a better job. Yes. So it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And mm-hmm. the things that I have to do, I have to say no a lot of times. I have to put up boundaries a lot of times as a dark skinned black woman with curly hair that everybody knows I love being black. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm off as aggressive when I say no because of the politics and the history behind that. Right. To have a dark skinned black mm-hmm. woman tell a white man in leadership. No, there's a lot of layers mm-hmm. there. And so I had mm-hmm. to learn, OK, I like how. I like how you said no. And how do I play with it? And for the majority of my career, my career is always an audition and it's always a play. And I'm always mm, saying, yes. things saying things and then turning off my computer and saying, I didn't like, I didn't like the ending. Let me try that again. Um, but it's also collecting leaders that I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I go mm-hmm. to a new company, I'm always looking for that leader that it's not in again. I'm not, for example, I'm not in finance. It could be the CFO. For me, it's not necessarily what you do, but it's mm-hmm. how you do it. At a certain point in your career, you going higher in your career has nothing to do with the content. It mm-hmm. has to do with how and what you do it. I remember at Airbnb, there was a woman who I loved copying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved copying her, not because she was brilliant, but also because everybody else thought she was brilliant. And so yes. as you start, as I said, kind of taking stock of people and some of their mannerisms, right? Also look at their scorecard in the dining hall. And this particular Mm -hmm. woman, she was the highest ranking woman at Airbnb when I was there and everybody loved her. And I had this wonderful opportunity to work with her and I would watch her in rooms. I would watch how, you know, the room would be busy, people walking in. And by the way, Mm -hmm. it was majority male room. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she walked in, everybody would sit up straight. It was hilarious to me. Like, like <laughs> I love it. You walk in, they'd be like, "Okay, let's let's get this together." And it wasn't, and it, it, it wasn't this act of like she's mean. It was very mm-hmm. much this act of like I respect her so much. I would watch people watch her talk, and I would mm-hmm. sit there and say, "Yo, like this woman could sell water to a whale," and yo, <laughs> and. That really made me when I was there for two years, I would just watch her. And and sometimes I'd be like, oh, maybe she thinks that I'm stalking her, but I would love to be in a room with her. And every chance I got, I'd want to be in the room, even if it wasn't about my actual work, because I Mm -hmm. wanted I wanted to take some of that magic. And I literally Mm -hmm. spent two years at Airbnb and watch her listen to this and laugh. And it's like, how can I be more like her in these areas? And guess what? Mm -hmm. She was a she was a very light skinned, white passing Cuban woman. Mm-hmm. We're very mm-hmm. different. We're very yes. different. Um, mm-hmm. She came from Texas. I come from St. Louis. Very, very different. She was a lawyer. Yes. I am not a, you know, very, very different. But how people reacted to her, how she responded mm-hmm. to people, how she was always prepared for a conversation, how she was so willing to say when she didn't know. I had never heard a leader say, I don't mm-hmm. know for my entire life. Mm-hmm. One time yes. I was in a room with her and someone asked her a very important question and she said, I don't know. And I thought the world was going to end. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know that I could say, I don't know. And the mm-hmm. meeting ended and I stayed and I walked out with her 
And I said, wait, so you can say, I don't know. And she said, yes, I say it all the time. And I was like, are you sure? Like, aren't you concerned? <laughs> and she was like, am I concerned that I don't know? And she said, sometimes, but she said, and she obviously told, she told me, Lexi, just because I say, I don't know, doesn't mean I'm not going to figure it out. And she walked away. Yes. Have some woman say that to me in a world of the white patriarchy where, you know, we are kind of ingrained. You always have to know. Um, mm-hmm. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned from her. It's okay as a leader just to say, I just, I don't, yes. I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And to see the respect she received. Yeah. Mm. Copycat people and figure out how it works for you. Her and I are very different. Um, I haven't talked to her in years and um, we're clearly very different. Our lifestyles, our, our identity layers of privilege, of race, of where we come from, of all these things. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, the fact that that was so many years ago, and I'll be the first person to be like working with that woman alongside that woman and just being in the room with her mm-hmm. has transformed my career and how I act as a woman and as a leader um, and get things done. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Thank you so much. There's so many like nuggets in there that we can go with. And I think it's powerful that you, you know, like you say, identifying um, identifying what it is that they do that helps make them successful. But it's also so empowering, the idea of being able to say, I don't know, but saying it with courage and confidence in that you have the ability and the competency to then go figure it out, right? And, and I think sometimes people find more power in that because we all have this uncertainty sometimes. And we look for that leader who will say, I don't know, but we'll figure it out together kind of really helps others kind of the buy-in opposed to kind of just sitting back, leaning back or not wanting to do anything at all. I think it is absolutely powerful. Now you, you know, shared so many things in terms of like, how do you, you know, how you became successful and, you know, you're now in tech chief of staff, lots of things come your way. I think not a single day is probably the same for you. Um, so how do you stay ahead of like, you know, what might happen even when it's the unknown, like what are the habits or daily rituals that help you, um, you know, navigate pivot and get the job done, even when there is that level of uncertainty? Yeah. I think the first and foremost thing is to be very, very close, build that really close relationship with the person that you are supporting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I support a phenomenal, phenomenal human being who is, who has been so instrumental in my life. Um, and he happens to be an engineer. And as a person mm-hmm. who's not an engineer, I, I know that probably when this relationship started, there could have been a lot of people who were like, so how is, how is this going to work? Because <laughs> I make it very clear to me, I am not an engineer, right? Um, mm-hmm. But to work with him and get to know him to understand what he cares about. Mm-hmm. Very important when you work, and I'm sure you know as a leader as well, that it's not really about the content or the product. It's what the person that you support cares about. Yes. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can, you can understand what someone cares about. And so every day, um, regardless of what I'm doing throughout the day, it all comes back to what does he care about? Because my job, I tell folks, is that um, if a, a bodyguard and a power ranger and like a program manager and a, and a strategy leader had a baby, that's, <laughs> that's how I look at my job. 
Mm -hmm. So I focus on what he cares about. And I always tell folks, I focus on the things that are not done. I have no problem walking into a project room or a program room and someone saying, we need someone to help create this Excel document. If this one Excel document is what's stopping you from being great, Mm -hmm. then I will do the, when when is it due? What Mm -hmm. color paper do you want it on? Right. Um, And that's how I do my job. And I take it very seriously is that I'm the person that can come in and I will unblock things for you, whatever Mm -hmm. you need. And if that is something as like going to talk to the queen of England, great. Anybody got her WhatsApp? Is that as simple (laughs) as making the Excel document great? I am I am humble enough and excited enough to do anything for you to empower Mm. you in this room, whatever job that you do to do your best work. And then also I'm the person behind the scenes making sure that your manager knows how phenomenal you are. And I think that we need to highlight that Mm. because many times we don't discuss that. We're easy to tell people's management when they're not doing a good job. Mm -hmm. We forget when they're doing excellent work. And many times I'm working with the people who they are, they are that under the, uh, under the scene folks who never mm-hmm. get recognition, but definitely if something goes bad, we, we call them first. And so right. um, the first Friday of every month, I actually put in my calendar. I use that time for the first couple hours of the day as I drink coffee and listen to music and get ready for work. I have a list and I actually write emails to them and their manager because I want people to know that I see their good work. Mm. And I want people to know that just because no one saw what you did, I saw it. And I want the person who writes your paycheck to know that because of what you did or are doing, we are actually being successful. And I think that unfortunately comes from a trauma response because I do think that early in my career, I was the person that I felt like I was doing a lot and nobody mm-hmm. was showing so I promised yes. myself in my mid twenties, I was like, if I'm, if I'm ever in a position where I can change that, everybody who works with me will know that I think they're phenomenal and whatever I have to do, something as simple as chatting your manager and being like, Monique is the bomb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All the way to doing a formal performance review. I just, I want people who do phenomenal work to be glorified. And I do think that there is, um, some issues when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And it's usually people who look like me mm-hmm. who are not glorified for their work. It is people that look like me who are not paid equally. And when it's time for conversations around promotion, even if they get the promotion, if you weren't paid equally to begin with, yeah, you got a promotion, but you're still underpaid. And yes. so whatever I can do to make the playing field equal, regardless of what you look like, who you come from, um, who you love and what food your mama made you growing up, I'm going to do that because I have been a target of that behavior and I don't want anybody else to feel that way. Wow. You are a brilliant and beautiful human being. Um, And you are doing everything that I, you know, try to share with all, all of our people of we have to level up together. And the only way we can do that is by shining the light on on others, but also on yourself, right? And so it's this whole taboo thing around self-promotion, right? It's really hard for us to self-promote and own our accomplishments or share them broadly. But what you're doing is so powerful by self-promoting on behalf of that person, right? You're, you're promoting them opposed to them having to do the work. And I think that is beautiful. That is something that everybody should practice 
and it would be such a you know it's it would be such a better place um, to level up together, and it would accelerate that. There's a compounding you know um, piece to that where you know we we celebrate our accomplishments, and you're kind of shining the light on them. So kudos to you for doing that. Oh my God, I could talk to you forever and ever, but I know that we have a finite amount of time. So I'm going to jump to our lightning round of questions that we like to ask everybody in closing. And I'm sure these are going to be fun with you. Um, Let's talk about what book has greatly influenced you? Oh my gosh, so many, but the one that I just saw because I just finished moving. And so I just unpacked it um, would be anything from Toni Morrison um, I know mm. why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou because that really speaks to me as a black black woman and how I can help my mm-hmm. people. Um, I also want to highlight there is a book called Shoe Dog. It is by the man mm. Nike, and it was the best seventy two hours of my life from a corporate standpoint of what it means to create a business and make a business and bring people around that support your vision. Mm, Shoe Dog. I'm gonna have to look into that one. I've yeah. heard about it, yeah. but I haven't I haven't yet cracked it. Yes. yes. <laughs> awesome. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? My favorite inspiring quote or saying is something that my mom used to tell me and still tells me. And it literally is do you boo. And it's her beautiful way of reminding Mm -hmm. me that regardless of what happens in life, I just have to stay who I am, regardless if that irritates people, if people love it, my goal is to stay me. And the second quote's from my dad. And he used to tell me all you have to do in this world is stay black and die. Mm. Everything else is literally a choice. <laughs> and there's many times when I'm at work um, or dealing with hard problems where it's like, mm-hmm. all I have to do is stay black and die. It, it, mm. it, it reminds me um, that that's really all that I, that I must do in this planet. Everything else I do is an actual choice that I am making. And so the real mm. question is, what choice do I want to make? Wow, that is just grounding and it helps bring you back every time. I love those. I love it. (laughs) Yes. So what is one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, Candid to a fault. Candid to a fault. I love it. I love it. Or uh, my little brother told me this a few days ago. He was like, you're not a nice person. You're kind. And I was like, I don't even know what twisted compliment that is. And what he's trying to say is that I do not think that I'm a nice person. I do not think that I'm the person that um, has this degree of like superficial niceness, but I am mm-hmm. a very, very kind person. I'm an active mm-hmm. listener. I want to help you solve solutions. I yes. am a sure, but I just don't walk around the world and have this superficial niceness. I think that that's very dangerous and violent. Mm. So. That's powerful. The, the, uh, being kind, but like you said, there's this whole... I would say juxtaposition about, you know, the need for being light sometimes. And so sometimes people are nice and disingenuous and it's just like, um, you know, uh, so I I can appreciate that. And I love that. So what is one change, a habit, a behavior, or some action that you do that you implemented and it made your life a whole lot better? I got clarity on what I wanted to be when I grow up. Mm, This is a very recent thing. Like in the past six months, okay? Um, okay. So I'm still working on it. I think my whole career, um, when I look back at it, my whole career, I was doing chief of staffy things. I think my whole mm-hmm. career, um, I was being a chief of staff and not being paid for it and not having the title. And so mm. therefore, I was being taken advantage of. And I think in the past six to eight months, I started kind of putting the pieces all together slowly. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, 
this is the job. This is mm-hmm. what I do. This is how I do it. This is the title. Um, this is what color it's going to look like on a daily basis. And if you do not like any of those things, that is totally awesome. I don't want it. Mm, I love it. The clarity and that conviction and the confidence. It's amazing. It's amazing how much clarity unleashes your confidence as well. Um, That's phenomenal. Because when you're clear, what I've realized now in my career is that once you get clear, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you know, it's, it's like going to therapy. Once you start going to therapy and you become this better version of yourself, you can't mm-hmm. go back to your old self. And that's the mm-hmm. beautiful blessing about clarity, regardless of where it is in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And then also sometimes the more painful things because you have to say no to things. Yes. So now it's so yes. like, I can't go back. I had this like, clarity <laughs> shadow, you know. That's it. We're just going to move forward. We're moving forward with you. I'm not going back. I'm not, I'm not going back. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Now, my favorite question. So say thousand people in the audience, you're about to walk up on stage. What is that power song that would be playing in the background as Lexi B stepped onto that stage? It would probably be Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson or <laughs> by Janelle Monet. I love it. I love it. I've used them before. So yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you have. I can't wait. Lexi B, it's been an amazing time talking to you. I could talk forever and ever. And um, we're going to have to to carve out some time and do this again, because I think there's a a whole lot more in there that we can pull out of you and share with our audiences. And I can tell you right now, that I know for a fact, our audience will be reaching out and saying, loved Lexi B's podcast episode. How do I follow her? How do I you know, get to know her? How do I stalk her the way she stalks people and emulate yes. what she does? <laughs> How yeah. would they get in contact with you? Yeah. So my Instagram, my Twitter are at Lexi B Speaks. You can find me on LinkedIn at Lexi mm-hmm. um, And then you can also find me on my website at www.lexib.com because I love to do speaking engagements and talk about these things and talk about how we can build more equitable places of work. So yes, let's do that. Phenomenal. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, definitely more to come and hope we stay together and connected and share more more uh, pearls of wisdom in the future thanks a lot Lexi thank you thank you thank you for listening to the beyond barriers podcast there are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours if you enjoyed the show please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.